fire. Bring the heart. It's time to get loud. Let's go! Because this is Betfred Super League. Bring it on. It's a different Eddie and Steve-O the podcast this week, but in one way, it's just the same because we're here with the support of our friends at Betfred. The old man himself is actually taking a breather this week, having a well-deserved rest, having battled bronchitis and the floods in Sydney in recent weeks. So without him, where do we turn? Well, we've a unique man to meet. His name is Chris Berry, who hails from Leeds. Like Steve-O, a proud Yorkshireman, and though Steve-O has written one and a half books, I wrote half of his second one, Chris is a rugby league fanatic and a best-selling author. His third book, Tough World, follows on from Tough Season and Tough Season in the Sun, all of which follow a rugby league player called Greg Duggan through all sorts of scrapes, and his local rugby league club even gets into Super League. And then Greg himself is pitched into World Cup action. How fitting that is in this of all years. Well, I spoke with Chris Berry to find out more about him and his books. First of all, where does the inspiration come from? I'm a big rugby league fan, uh, Eddie, and uh, I'm from Hull originally, so Hull KR has always been my team. Uh, always went in the yeah, eras when it was the you know, late 70s and early 80s when we had the best team in, in, uh, in rugby league rather than Super League at the time. So that was one of the things. The other side was uh, I'm... I'm a big reader as well as being a writer and journalist anyway. Uh, and I wanted to write, uh, I'd, I'd written lots of other things, you know, people's biographies, autobiographies. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, have I got the capacity to write a novel? And what would I want it to be about in the first place? Well, I thought, well, use something that you're familiar with and that you like and that you enjoy. Um, and then I got into, I've got into crime thrillers and, one of the best crime thriller writers you'll know is Dick Francis um, and his horse racing crime thrillers were absolutely brilliant and I thought well why can't we use um, rugby league as a backdrop as opposed to horse racing as a backdrop so that's kind of how it, how it started um, and uh, yeah uh, it, it's gone from there so now I've got three out and I came up with this character called Greg Duggan who's my sort of main character in all three novels Indeed so, yeah. I mean, they say that everyone's got a book in them somewhere. You've got three and possibly four. Well, more than that, because I know you've done a load of autobiographies, and we'll, we'll come yeah. on to that in a minute. OK, so Greg Duggan, he's the main character in your books. Now then, here's the question. Who's he based on? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly not me, put it that way. But it, is, but it is, you know, based on all of the people that you might expect. Put it this way, he's a loose forward, right? He's got a granite jaw. 
Uh, he's six foot three uh, and a mass of black hair. And so he's a good looking bloke who's um, uh, could be lots of people rolled into one. If I was thinking about certain people, I don't have ex exactly, uh, you know, lots and lots of people in mind. Uh, obviously, I would think Gavin Miller from my times of the late 70s, early 80s, yeah. um, mid 80s time. Um, but equally well, people like Dennis Betts, you know, um, and then today's, today's players as well, you know, elements of all. Certainly, he would have to be for the action hero that he is, who's been compared to a rugby league version of Jack Reacher, action hero kind of guy. When we pick up Greg in each of the books where he's in a difficult position, either through his love life, which is very complicated, um, uh, or he's through um, what he's had before him to do with um, his club, uh, his first club he, he plays for is in the in the north of England. He plays for a club called Hopton Town, uh, which, strangely enough, <laughs> I was writing a book, uh, and, and I suddenly found Upper Hopton and Lower Hopton. I thought, oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to come up with a different club. But anyway, it was a completely different one. But the Hopton are struggling. They're at the foot of basically what we would term League One. Um, and uh, I won't, you know, like I said, I won't give any spoilers away, but there are lots of things that start happening around. And these really are crime thrillers. I use the kind of things in each of the stories uh, that are things that you could realistically see having happen in the sometimes murky world of rugby league. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes, you know, where you find that there's high-powered and you think there are people in ivory towers and the like. And so I've used those kind of things as, as the idea. But he's, when, he's, when he's on his, the best way I can describe how he is when he's on his uppers at times is it's a bit like a Bruce Willis in Die Hard, where you see Bruce Willis at the start and everything's gone wrong again for him. Uh, and then he's got to sort of gradually fend it through and come good. And so Greg is a, is a, is a very good loose forward rugby league player and also he's put into lots of these compromising situations where he's got to fight his way out of them uh, and so for anybody who likes action and thriller and crime and rugby league then it mixes them all together um, and I, I, I really enjoy doing it. I also love a bit like yours and Steve-O's commentaries, Eddie, as well I mean, I listened to those for years I equally well listened to BBC Radio Humberside and the other BBC uh, commentaries. So I use radio commentary uh, and TV commentary to link it when it's the rugby league action as well. So there's kind of a lot of a lot of phrases that you might then think when you when you read a book. Do you know? I think I heard that by a commentator <laughs> some years ago. <laughs> Oh, well, listen, we better not tell Steve about that. He'll be sending you a bill. Yeah, I didn't did think about that when I was saying it. Uh, well, it's, I know in your author's note on the book, and the book is, 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 is fascinating, it really is. It's, it's a great read. In your author's note, uh, you share the fact that Greg Duggan uh, and all the characterizations, they are fictitious, but yeah. um, you also have got names of family members and friends of yours and also now friends who've shown up because they, they've read the books and they've got in touch with you so there'll be people there who will have a great affinity with these books won't there? 
that's it. That's what you're hoping. And, and, and I just like doing it. I like putting people in. I mean, a, a lot of the names are made up, but then, you know, coming through it, I suddenly think, oh, he'd be a great one. I'll put him in for this or her in for this. And, and some people who've really been very supportive right from the start, people who I don't know, you know, who have read the books and have then become great followers uh, of me, I thought, well, wouldn't it be nice if I, you know, put them in? You know, so they become a character in my in my books as well, and I quite like I quite like doing that. I think Dick Francis did that a little bit, and a few. I'm I'm almost certain that plenty of other authors have done similar kind of things in the past. I mean, you know, if you if you ever become a Lee Child, then obviously what you do is you go on these um, you know dinners or whatever, and then you get people to pay to be a character in your book. I don't think I'm not quite I'm not quite at that. <laughs> Not quite at that stage yet, Eddie. Put it that way. I'm sure those days will come. I, I really am. You know, I'm positive yeah, yeah. that someone will pay you to go on. Here's a tenner. Put put me in your next book. You know, <laughs> it'd be great, wouldn't it? The, the latest one, Tough World, uh, just so that, you know, people was originally it came out just before Christmas, um, and the idea originally, of course, was that with it calling tough. The first one's tough season. The second tough season in the sun, and the third one, tough world. And Tough World is set in Australia. I wanted to set it in a World Cup setting for this time. So Greg has gradually been from a League One player in Tough Season to Super League in Tough Season in the Sun to then involved in a World Cup. I won't say anything more than that at the moment. But it's set in Australia, and it's also set on the South Pacific Islands of Vanuatu. Uh, and the... I mean, I've used the locations as I did for book two in Tough Season in the Sun, where it's set in Lanzarote. And I said, you might <laughs> think, what the hell is a rugby league club doing in Lanzarote? Well, that was basically this. I was running, as I do a lot of running, in Lanzarote when I was on holiday there a couple of times. And I saw this gap in between these two buildings. And I thought, wouldn't it be just the oddest, strangest, and most ridiculous of things? if a rugby league ground was built here. And I did think, well, you know, who would sanction that? And, you know, between you and me, you will well know, there will be certain people maybe who might think, oh, that's a good number for us. Yeah, we can yeah, all get so. holidays out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're nearly there with Perpignan, aren't we, in Toulouse. You know, great holidays down there if you want to go and follow follow the game now. But I, I know that clubs have in the past gone to Lanzarote to the big training yeah. camp there. And that plays a part in the book as well, Eddie, because I do sure. my research, obviously, on the things. And, and what I try and do is find the different places. And I was, uh, it was a very pleasant surprise once I decided the location was going to be Lanzarote as well, that I found that very place. And so that plays a part. And some of the characters, fictitious characters, are based there as well so and also I thought anybody who's going on holiday it's a great holiday read and the, similarly the Australia one and uh, the latest one Tough World I've certainly beefed up the number of murders as well so <laughs> you've been to these places that's the thing you've been to Vanuatu yeah. haven't you places that you've, have. you've fallen in love with yourself and how fitting by the way I know it was for 2021 uh, when the World Cup should yeah. have been on but how fitting that yeah. the World Cup theme is running through this current book 
Well, that's right as well. And that's what I'm, I'm hopeful now that, you know, um, the book's selling, all three books are selling well, and, but and this particular one is doing very, very well at the moment. And, uh, yeah, I'm hoping that even more people from, uh, it's not, they're not, you don't have to be a rugby league fan to read the books, you know. It's not, that's not 100% necessary. But, of course, you know, uh, rugby league people are going to like it specifically because it's got rugby league background. And there aren't any other crime thriller writers out there writing with rugby league as the backdrop you know so that, that was my next question that's my next question you know there aren't many authors who admit to being or indeed are well known for being rugby league fans so you have got a a a, a market there that is is perfect for you you know there's thousands thousands right. of people who like the game and if they like a bit of yeah. crime and like a bit of thrills and everything else that goes on perfect read it's a niche, and I and I think that the I think that the Australian market as well, which is something that we've not really pursued as yet, I don't think uh, the Great Northern Books, who are my publisher, but the uh, the Australian market is certainly well worth going to as well, especially since I've based, you know, Tough World uh, over there. But yeah, the World Cup was a um, a major thing. My my uh, my son lives in Australia. Uh, he's lived there ten years. He's got a wine shop in Byron Bay. Um, and so that's why Baron Bay uh, is involved there as well. And uh, <laughs> we we went eleven thousand miles out to see Russ uh, in Baron Bay, and then after three days, he got us on a plane to go seventeen hundred miles out to Vanuatu uh, because he decided he wanted a holiday within a holiday. And uh, <laughs> oh, we had the most fantastic time. I, you know, you the place I've used as the resort as the resort is called Breakers. Uh, Breckers uh, near Port Vila on on Vanuatu, and uh, it's just idyllic. And so I put the English national team uh, using that as its as its base because, <laughs> you know, I, I went for the old you know expanding countries routine, you know, the emerging mm. countries, uh, and I looked at Vanuatu to check that they definitely did have a rugby league team, national team, and they did. So, um, and I saw what rating they were in it, and I think they rated something like 28 in the world or whatever, you know. So I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if I got them and they'd managed to get through to the, um, you know, to the, to the opening rounds of the World Cup finals. Uh, and so there's some amazing scenes there. And I also picked up on a really, really great singer uh, called Vanessa Kwai, um, and she is like a reggae-type singer uh, over there. And she actually, you possibly know this already, Eddie, but the Emerging Nations had uh, an Emerging Nations final in Australia. I think it was maybe three or four years ago, now, something like that. And, yeah. um, and Vanessa sang at it. And again, that sort of fitted amazingly because I didn't know that in the first place until I started writing it. And so I built her into it as the, sort of the, the you know halftime entertainment. What a, what a, an idyllic life you lead, Chris. You have a <laughs> a wine shop in Byron Bay. You go to Australia, obviously, because he's down there on a regular basis. You then fly to the Pacific Islands, uh, and then you start <laughs> you start writing books about it. <laughs> well, put it this way: when when Greg first, uh, I won't give the whole game away, but obviously he gets called up. He's not part of the he's not part of the team in the first place, but there are reasons why he ends up getting called up. Put it that way. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I just had a ball 
right in the right in the. I, mean, I have a ball right in the books, uh, Eddie. They're, I find them the I make them great fun, whilst at the same time with lots of you know realism in there as well, so that people who are rugby league fans, people who do go crime thriller territory, will know what I'm trying to do with them. Uh, and and honestly, the, the, the reviews I've had have been great. I, the first book of season was nominated for a uh, Crime Writers Association Dagger Award, which is what, you know, Dick Francis and Anne Cleves, you know, who writes the Shetland books and the Vera books wow. and things like that. Wow. They've, they've won that in the past. I, I got to the nomination stage, which was pretty nice anyway. Oh, well, you're in exalted company, aren't you? Well done. Well done. Yeah. Now I know I know you've written for the Yorkshire Post for what twenty years or more. You live in Leeds now. Yeah. Born right. in Hull, and you're a Hull Kingston Rovers fan and a staunch Yorkshireman. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have to say, tough season. Um, I made a point that Hopton Town is neither Yorkshire nor Lancashire nor Cumbria for that matter. Um, <laughs> and it is because I thought if I mention Yorkshire or Lancashire as a team. I'll lose half my rugby league audience in one fell swoop. Of course you will. <laughs> so, so I made it a Pennine club. It was a Pennine club. That was the best right, I could right do. Right down the middle. I'm a staunch Yorkshireman. I was the kind of guy that, uh, you know, when when families used to go onto Scarborough Beach and take it over, I was I was very fortunate. We had, I've had uh, 22 cousins altogether, and uh, there were 17 of us that were male. So the cousins plus our my uncles and my dad would, and not being sexist here, but it was in the time when it was all male. Um, we would, and I think I think some of my uh, female cousins played as well. We would a bit like Michael Parkinson. We would take over part of the beach with <laughs> our own very cricket games and very football and very rugby league and the like. You know, so it was great fun. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, as I say, you, you are a Hull Kingston Rovers fan. Uh, uh, what do you think of them? I'm not one of these who necessarily subscribes to the Tony Smith effect in that, you know, when the announcement was made of his uh, not staying for next season. I'm not quite I'm not quite certain that made the whole difference or not to the way things have gone. I think it was just injuries um, to vital players at vital times. And I think that was probably the, the biggest thing. And if you look back now at the people who are coming back, we're, we're getting a good win every now and again. And then we're getting a, you know, a poor defeat. But it's like all these leagues these days, a bit like in the Premiership in football uh, uh, and in Super League. Uh, you get the top sides and the top sides can beat each other up. And then from about sixth or seventh down in the Premier League, same with fourth or fifth down in, in rugby league, in Super League. But it could change automatically. It just depends on what your run of games are, I think, against the teams that are about the same level as you. I think where Rovers have done well is the signings that they seem that they appear to have made ready for next season. I'll just go back to the Tony Smith decision. It, it was a strange time to make the decision, Chris, you know. You'd beaten Hull in the derby. You had a full Indeed. house. You were in the semi-final of the Challenge Cup. Yeah. You know, you were 80 minutes away from Wembley. Then, boom. You know, everything yeah. went wrong from then. 
And I, I, yeah. I, I, sitting on the outside and looking in, and I, you know, it's interesting to talk to a Rovers fan because I talked a lot to yeah. Wellington, Wigan, Saints on this side of the sure. of the hill. I, I I can't get over the fact that he he made the decision when he did because he looked absolutely, you know, at it. He was he was on top of it all. I know it it did didn't it? And uh, I mean, all I all I know is I'm, my brother. Uh, Dave was a coach uh, of Telford Rugby League uh, a few, quite a few years ago, and Dave um, lives uh, near Penniston, uh, and Tony lives that way on. And Dave's, as, as said to me, and Dave's, uh, my brother, and my other brother Matt were all, you know, staunch Hull KR fans, and, and I'm sure Dave would tell you that Tony is such a nice guy, and I'm sure you know that as well. Um, such a nice guy. But there are things that just change things. I don't know what fully happened. Nobody, I don't think, really knows what fully happened. Yes, I think it possibly did have a slight effect to the way things were. But I still subscribe to the theory that it was overall, when you look at you know, the injuries that we had, Mikey Lewis was, was out. Uh, and he was this inspirational, you know, half that we've got at the moment, a young guy who's a whole born and bred guy through and through. Great Jordan player. Abdul, Jordan Abdul went as well, another whole guy through and through as well. And 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 uh, uh, you know, Coote was was not quite not quite on it at the time because he'd been injured as well. Um, and, uh, and 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 we lost our big red machine, you know, who was who was you know, we, we lost the spine of the side and then no disrespect to some of the other guys that were there but you know we had a unit that had been playing well together I mean there is another theory with all this which I think a lot of rugby league clubs sometimes say but don't say um, and that is that you know there, you'll get a club uh, that looks at where the fixtures are and say oh we've got Huddersfield in the Challenge Cup semi-final and then they just automatically think the name Huddersfield and think, well, we should be able to beat them. And and it's totally wrong. It's the wrong theory again. Huddersfield, I mean, McQueen is playing out of his skin at the moment. Um, and and the rest of the team as well. And and they have they have an excellent side. And the the great thing about my home team is that they are a you know, it is a proper family club that is trying to get its house in order in the right way, you know, that's the reason why we've got the guys who've been at the helm for us now, who've got whole KR coursing through their veins and wanting to do... Neil Hudgel has got to be probably one of the most loyal people to be at the helm of a club uh, that rugby league has ever had. You're right, and it's cost him a fortune. People don't think about that, you know. I, I, and maybe there's no reason why they should, but but to my mind, you know, people see it and they see Neil's done a great job. If they saw how much had been ploughed in, and the and what it takes to build something to make sure that it's right and that the foundations are there, and what Hull KR has got at the moment, regardless of anything else, is it has its foundations right. Uh, and what they are now trying to do is, is get it right. I, I, I still think Tony Smith, by the way, and, and this, and I've, I've, uh, 
I think he was the best thing ever for us at the time in which he arrived because it allowed us to start getting the Tony is is as we all know very very well known for you know getting things across the right kind of way and getting teams sorted out he's done it with Huddersfield done it with Warrington done it with Leeds and he's done it again with Hull KR you've got a fantastic fan base you know they turn up yeah. hail rain and snow and they watch and they enjoy and they create a fantastic atmosphere and the club now owns its own ground it owns 15 right. acres around the place and yeah. they can hopefully now do what they want in the future well that's what I mean about the whole thing about you know getting foundations right and making th sure things are good for the future I'm, I'm sure the most important thing for and I'm sure this is the same for Warrington for Wigan for St Helens is homegrown players and bringing homegrown th players through that are quality enough to play for your side and then having that conveyor belt of them. We had that in the 80s uh, and then we had that a little bit in the late 80s. Uh, we had it with some really great players, you know, Mike Fletcher, Paul Fletcher, Wayne Parker, those kind of people. Um, but then somehow along the way, we lost it a little bit, lost our way a bit. Uh, and that's where Neil Hudgel uh, came in. And it's him that's, you know, he, I'm, a, I'm a great believer that he's uh, the best thing that ever really happened to Hulk. Yeah, whilst Tony Smith has been great for four years, you know, he's done a good job. Um, he's got a record, as you know, with Tony of generally only sticking around with a club for about four seasons anyway. You know, sure. so he does a job, he gets them going again, and then perhaps he's looking at the next one to do, you know. And you're right, getting the, the junior development right and signing quality international players. That, that's, yeah. the key. that's the key to it all. Look, the, the rugby league chat is fascinating, but you've not just written novels about, about rugby league and about crime. You've done autobiographies as well with some of the biggest name stars in the business. Tony, Tony Christie, Joe Longthorn, yeah. Bruce Jones, better known as Les Battersby of Coronation Street. Now I'm a massive Corrie fan. Uh, right. I used to love Les Battersby. I mean, he could be, he could be, he could be a Greg Duggan, to be fair. But uh, what sort of bloke is he? Bruce is a really nice fella. Um, he um, has done some great work, you know, not just Coronation Street. He he had a, a couple of good films. He did a Ken Loach film which was absolutely brilliant. And he did another one set in Blackpool, which is uh, a little bit off the wall, but a really he acts it really, really, really well. Bruce is great. He, he, uh, he lived in Conway when I wrote the book uh, on him. It's about sort of uh, 10 years ago now that I, wrote, uh, that I wrote Bruce's book. But yeah, great guy. And, and, and he's, got a, he's, he, he's one of these guys that, you know, he'll go down to his local pub, or did in Conway when I was with him, and he'd say, come on, we'll... I tend to do my interviews uh, for people's books so that I can get their flavour, their their voice, um, their vocabulary, so that it's not me writing it as me, obviously. It's got to be of them, and I want people... That's why I get engaged by people to write their books. I'm sure. Um, and and um, Bruce would... I do them in about sort of four-hour stints with people at a time, and usually by the time... You've done a couple of hours, two and a half hours. People can be a bit on the way, and you've got to keep your concentration levels up for the whole thing. Uh, and so with uh, 
with Bruce, he would say about lunchtime, and this is what people will remember about him. <laughs> it fits for his Coronation Street catch as well. He'd say, Come on, go down to the pub. Yeah. <laughs> so he'd go yeah. down there, he'd go down there, and, and with, with Bruce, um, he'd pop into his local down, you know, near the harbour there, um, and we'd, we'd pop in. And Conway's, Conway's a seaside resort, you know, so um, you. You'd start off uh, in there, and and he'd get a drink. Both get a drink. That's fine. I don't drink that. I, I, don't, I like a drink, but I didn't I don't drink that much. Certainly on a lunchtime, anyway. Um, and uh, and but then typically you're in a pub in Conway, uh, and there'll be a couple in there that are maybe in their fifties or sixties or seventies or whatever. And you know the kind of thing that happens. You'll have got it when you when you're in a pub somewhere. You, you can see people nudging each other, saying, "It's him." It's him, you know, and 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 then the woman will also, will will sort of dig dig her guy in the ribs and say, "Go and buy him a drink. Go and buy him a drink," you know. So, so they'd go up and buy him a drink, and then Bruce would very be very acceptant of it. So he'd suddenly be on his second pint, but because Bruce is a nice guy, he would then buy a pint back for them <laughs> and get another one. So he'd have three by that time, and then. Somebody else in the pub that's come in that didn't realise what had gone on before goes through the same routine, and so you end up he's had about five pints on a lunchtime. <laughs> uh, I bet I bet the autobiography takes a different slant then. How long do these things take? You know, you say you do four-hour slots with them. I, I'd imagine yeah. it's more than one four-hour interview to do a a full autobiography about somebody. I tend to do overall. Uh, overall, it works out in between 30 to 50 hours worth wow. of interviewing, you know, something like that. Depends how big the book's going to be. Uh, because, you know, when you're doing people like Bruce and people like Joe Longthorne and Tony Christie, those kind of guys, um, people want to read, you know, the whole of their life story and the like. Mm. I do do biographies for other people who, who just pay me to write their books for them as well, who are not necessarily big names but uh they they'll probably be maybe a you know 80 pages short of the of the high profile uh, guys not because they haven't had an interesting life because some of them have had a fabulously interesting life uh, the other guys tony christie and joe longthorne i've got to say tony christie lovely bloke really really nice guy the sort of guy that you can just have a pint with no matter who you are uh lovely wife sue um, been together right the way through his whole career um, and, and they are beautiful people and he's just got such a fabulous voice even now in his late 70s, I think he's 79 now um, and he's just amazing voice um, the other guy Joe Longthorne is from, he's from, he's from Hull as well uh, and Joe was probably I like a bit like uh, novels, I like stories that are you know, have have incredible highs and also incredible lows. Uh, and Joe, bless him, uh, passed away nearly three years ago now. Um, and uh, writing his book was an absolute joy. It really, really was. The the man was a lovely. And is a. I don't know whether you ever saw him. Did you, Eddie, at all? Joe yes, Hall? I did. Yes, I did. And in my Radio Merseyside days, a guy called Billy Butler. He, yes, uh, Billy loved he, him. Yeah, yeah. He promoted the life out of Joe and Joe Longstone. Yeah. And he, what a voice! What a fantastic voice he had. 
Absolutely amazing. Whilst a fabulous voice, an absolutely fabulous entertainer. Yes. You know, when he hit this, I saw him, you know, you, you, you get these things, don't you? It's a bit like when, you, when you're not on stage and then you hit the stage, when you're not on a rugby league ground and you hit the rugby league turf, you change. There's that light bulb that comes on on you. As soon as he walks onto that stage, it was bing. Yes. And it was, and he was electric. It honestly was. I, I saw him so many times, you know, um, and I was very fortunate that not just that I wrote his autobiography, but I'm a singer, guitarist, <clears throat> have my own band, play as a solo act as well. Joe invited me to be his support act on tour. I did it for two years, um, and then I did a few others with him after that as well. But I did a 40-date UK theatre gig tour in front of a 1,000 people a night, yeah, generally. And it was, it was just the most amazing thing. And I would come off, and, and I'd get the great Joe Longthorne, you know, saying to me, what are they like? What's the audience like, Chris? Wow. <laughs> I tell you what, Chris, you've got some strings to your bow. You really have. You, you, I, I, didn't, I didn't know you were in a band. I didn't know you were a singer, but I know you released in 2018 a CD, didn't you? Uh, Long yeah. Hard Road, including that's right. tw 12 of your own songs. Yeah, that's right. What, what else do you do? I mean, blimey, <laughs> you, do, you do everything by the sound of things. <laughs> I don't do. I'll tell you what I don't do, Eddie. I don't do wallpapering. I don't do... I do I don't do gardening. Right? Me neither. I, I don't do painting because I get because I'm one of these guys that gets very frustrated if there's something I can't do. Um, and I re I remember only too well years ago <clears throat> trying to hang wallpaper or whatever, and I'm talking a lot of years ago now, right? And I would get that frustrated. You know, I would not punch the wall, right? But I would hit the wall <laughs> with my with my clenched fist with the side of it. It would hit that little bone on your <laughs> wrist, right? I would go totally white, and I need to go and lie down. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, apart from the fact that you're a great writer, a great singer, that you've spoken to all these fantastic people, we have a lot in common, because I tried to build once one of the MFI self-build wardrobes. <laughs> I think IKEA has now taken over that mantle. And I was halfway through, the damn thing was wobbling all over the place, and I put my foot through the back of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've done. I've done. I've done one. One great thing was was uh, in between the our lounge and dining room and, and one of the places that we're at. Um, we had these, you know, wooden doors and the like in between the two, and we decided we wanted to take them out. Now, any any normal person would get a screwdriver and unscrew things or whatever, you know. So, I just decided that I would kind of launch my foot at it. Right? Okay, so I launched it. <laughs> Hit the hit the door. The door comes off the the, the side of the piece, or what? I must have I must have slightly taken it out anyway, and, and and landed. And I'm going, oh my god! And he went straight onto the dining table and took a chip out of it. <laughs> I bet your name. I bet your name was Mud. I bet your name was. Mud. My name is always Mud. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, what next? What next for you? You know, I know. Uh, I think, think um, a tough season, the French Connection. That's book number four. Is that out? About to come out, or, or what about it? So, so there um, will be more of Greg Duggan, yeah. There will be. Yeah, I've had you know great feedback from uh, the readers and the like, and and there is going to be a third rugby league French rugby league club <laughs> that enters Super League. 
Brilliant. Uh, there you go. So that's that's kind of what's going to be got. And the shenanigans that go along with any of that that I can make up, obviously, but also can be based a little bit on reality. And there's going to be quite a bit of... Uh, quite a bit for Greg to have to cope with in France. No spoilers, Eddie, no spoilers. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm sure he will prevail and go on and on and on. Chris, yes. fascinating to talk to you. A marvellous life, wonderful books, great music, great fun, uh, and, uh, you know, you could even do a travelogue, the number of places that you have visited. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, and um, very best of luck for it for the future. Thanks, Eddie, and to you and Steve-O too. It's a, it's a joy to be speaking with you, and it's, uh, it, it was always a joy to listen to you both on Sky. That's very kind. Thanks a lot, Chris. Cheers, Eddie. Take care. Chris Berry, whose publisher is Great Northern Books, based in Bradford, and the fourth Greg Duggan crime thriller, Tough Season, The French Connection, will be out soon. Chris had quite a story to tell. I hope you'll agree. Next week, we're back to normal, and Steve-O will be joining us once again nicely refreshed after his week off. Till then, it's goodbye, and as ever, thank you for listening to Eddie and Steve-O, the podcast. Podcast.